Thank you, worship team. We do have a wonderful, merciful Savior, someone to get zealous about. How many of you need a shot of zeal today? Anybody been feeling like, oh man, just another day or another week ahead, and it's kind of rough out there, right? But uh, we can use some zeal, some power, and grace, and that's what I'm going to talk about today, zeal, power, and grace. In this world, there's not a lot of zeal. It's a lot of indifference and apathy and uh, powerlessness. People can't control things, so they get angry. They lack grace. But to make it today, we need to have those three ingredients. We need to have proper zeal. We need to have power from on high. And we need to have grace and live in grace and not in law that bogs us down, keeps us in bondage. This is a gospel of grace. Jesus paid it all. And he purchased so much for us, so much that the church hasn't really practically been enjoying or experiencing, oftentimes because we forget its grace and we start to get into this legalistic mode. But we'll talk more about that. I want to look at where uh, I pulled out zeal, power, and grace from the book of Acts in Paul's testimony to an angry mob Acts chapter 22. So if you'll turn there or look on the screen, we will read it. Verses 1 to 10. Paul is addressing a mob uh, that was getting violent against him because he brought Gentiles into the temple area, and that was a no-no. And so he was taken away by the Roman guards, and he stopped to talk, and he said, Brethren and fathers... Hear my, def- uh, excuse me. Hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of your father's law, and was zealous toward God as you all are today. Did we get there? Today, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness in all the council of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Now it happened as I journeyed and came near. At about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. Okay, so that is the testimony Paul gave. He's repeating the testimony of what happened actually in Acts chapter 9. But we see here that he is giving a defense of his actions before an angry mob. And... There is zeal. He says, I was zealous just as you are today. And I want to ask you about zeal for a second because zeal is what drives us. You have zeal for something. You have zeal that moves you in a certain direction. The question we have to ask ourselves is, is our zeal correct? Because 
Oftentimes, uh, the world, for example, is zealous for the wrong things. The world is, you know, I said the world is indifferent and apathetic, but it is zealous in some areas. It's zealous for sin, for self, for idolatry. Look at the celebrity worship, and it's it's zealous for reputation. We want to be seen to be politically correct and look right and look good and not to be offensive to anybody, and it's good to not want to offend people, but there is a certain zeal that's all about self and what I can get out of it and how I can look before others and and all of that. That is uh, going to be a distraction from where zeal should be directed in your spiritual life to prepare for eternity to know the Lord. And even in the world... And as Christians, we can be zealous about good things, too. You can be zealous about your job. You can be zealous about family, about school, about doing good works. And I say keep on being zealous for those things. But sometimes those can be a distraction because people are overly zealous and focusing only on these things. We have something today called the social gospel where it's all about works, works, works. But there's little about Jesus. And so you want to be careful even with good things. I remember reading about uh, John Lennon. Some of us older folks know who John Lennon was, right? And he was, you know, really caught up in the peace movement. Well, peace is a good thing. And I remember reading about something he said in an interview, why the peace movement, John? He said, well, we needed something. We needed a cause, and I wanted to have some sense of significance. So he chose that. That peace is a good thing. And a lot of people do good in the world and things, but if you're not zealous and focused on the right thing, your spiritual life and your relationship with God you're not going to go far as far as spiritual growth. We have to make sure we are in the right way. So in this passage, we see that even even zeal for the Lord can be misguided. Paul said, I was zealous, in verse 3, I was zealous for God as you are today. Who was zealous for God as you are today? Saul. Saul was an angry man. He was on a violent pursuit to persecute and round up Christians and bring them up to Jerusalem to be beaten and put in jail. Saul was not on the right side of the Lord. Saul was acting as an enemy of God, and yet he was zealous for God. He thought he was doing God a service. He thought he was serving him, and he was in the right way. That was misguided zeal, and it was zealous for God. And also, he said, I was zealous for God today, even as you are today. And look at what the mob was doing. If you read just a few verses back, the mob wanted to pound him and put Paul away. And Mob was angry. And so they were zealous for God. So a lot of people can be zealous for God, but they're in the wrong way. And we see that in the church that some people are zealous for the color of the carpet because God said the carpet should be gray. Now, some people are zealous for the correct uh, painting on the walls and the, the power struggles in church. You can have a religious ambition. You can be zealous to be seen as a representative of Christ and to be thought of as holy, and all this stuff, we can get so misguided having a zeal for God, but it's not a zeal that's motivated by love. And I was remembering, uh, you know, I was zealous for theology at one point, and it's good to have some zeal for these things, not necessarily for the carpet, but you want to make sure things look good, right? Amen? But I was zealous for theology at one point, you know, and I was having these email debates. How many of you are familiar with the Calvinist-Arminian arguments and stuff? I'm not going there, okay? I used to go there, and it wasn't very productive. And I can remember I was having these email conversations with somebody who was strictly on the other side from where I was. And uh, every, every day we'd send these little things back and forth to each other. I thought, got him this time. 
man, when he reads this, he's going to be convinced. And sure enough, he didn't even read it. He just fires back something else. I read his responses, but, uh, you know, so that so I think anyway. But anyway, I was telling Jennifer about it, and Jennifer was like, at one point she got fed up and it was even almost in tears when I told her what his email said. They said she said, this isn't what Jesus died for. And I was like, you're right. You know, he, he didn't die so that we could have these bickerings and arguments and internet hostilities. You know, you can find a thousand websites on the internet that's criticizing the church or criticizing heretics and things, and there's a place for, you know, making sure people are in the way of truth. But all that can be misguided zeal. And if we're not preaching the truth or standing up for the truth in love, that's not what Jesus died for. You can have the truth and be wrong. It has to be fueled by love. And so we have to ask ourselves today, what are we zealous for? Are we zealous for the kingdom, for the truth, for God? But is it a zeal that's fueled by love? And that's where the power is going to come into our lives. If it's a zeal for, you know, uh, you can have a zeal for God in which he's all you need. He's all you want. And if we can get to this place, even in the midst of circumstances or trials, even in the midst of, you know, whatever's going wrong, God is always there. And God loves us. His love for us hasn't changed. And so you could be really struggling, and yet you could have the advantage and the victory because your zeal is not necessarily for the resolving of the issue, although that is a good thing to want. Your zeal is for drawing closer to the Lord and saying, how can I draw closer to you in this? Even in this, you're with me. Even in this, you're working. Even in this, your promise stands. All things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose, Romans 8.28. So, that's where I'm going. I haven't arrived yet, but I'm on my way. That's what we're growing into. If we are growing, we are having a zeal developed in our lives that is in the proper place. Not just a zeal for God, which can be misguided, but a zeal for God in Christ that is motivated by love and fueled by his power and grace, which we're getting to next in this passage. So, the power of God. A light shined around Saul, and he fell to the ground. The power of God came in a light that knocked him to the ground. And you say, well, man, that sounds pretty good, but I've never been knocked to the ground. What if God shined a light right now and we all fell out of the pews? That'd be pretty exciting. You know, stuff like that happened in the Great Awakening. And... Lord willing, we'll have more awakenings in this land before long. Maybe it'll start here. But, you know, you may never have been knocked down off a pew by the light of God. But you have, if you know the Lord, if you love Jesus, to any extent, you have received the same power that knocked Paul to the ground. And so the verse that was just on the screen is 2 Corinthians 4, verse, eight, uh, verse 6, I believe. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He has shined some light, and that light has knocked self off the throne of your heart. Now, maybe yourself keeps trying to get back up on the throne. What's the remedy? More light. But that light can knock sin out of your heart, can knock depression off of your Life. You can knock anxiety out, can knock fear out, but the light of God shines to knock out the darkness. 
And when it knocks out the darkness, it changes us. And so every one of us, to some degree, has received some of the same power that knocked Paul to the ground. Maybe not as dramatic as it was shown in the book of Acts, but to some degree, spiritually speaking, you have received the light that has shined into your heart. Otherwise, you wouldn't be seeking the Lord. You wouldn't be wanting to know him or you wouldn't be thinking about him. But you have tasted in some degree that he is good. And if you haven't, if you're here, you know, some people are here because uh, they love the Lord. Other people are here because of drugs. They were drugged here by somebody, <laughs> right? They're not really interested so much in the Lord. But if you are one of those, you can still, if you get that light shining, once that light shines, it's like vision comes. Taste and see that the Lord is good. There is so much life and blessing in Jesus. Jesus is the greatest, highest good of all. And yet we get so distracted because it is a spiritual vision that we're talking about. And we see things in the flesh. We see things in the natural. And that's why we have to get into the word. Thy word is a light unto my, a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The word will shine light if you allow it. And that's where the power comes in. And the word might hit you and you might fall down, spiritually speaking, whatever, physically if you want. I don't care. Just be in the presence of the Lord. But uh, that light doesn't always knock us down, doesn't always shine so quickly and solve every issue that we have. Why? God doesn't work that way. God works according to our faith. And we have to, like I said last week, take some initiative in it. If you're not getting into the word, if you're not getting before him, if you're not spending time looking to him, he could, but he's not normally the kind that will just wave the magic wand and solve the issue in your life. A lot of people think that's how it is. God will do whatever he wants when he wants to do it. And we're just, he hasn't done it yet. Well, what what promises have you pulled out of the word? What are you standing on? What are you believing for? What are you, uh, in, what are you doing to get in position for his blessing? This, you know, the Bible says to offer yourselves a living sacrifice that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, perfect will of God. Romans 12, 2. You have to offer yourself to him. He doesn't just wave his finger and fix things. He can at times, and praise God he does at times, or else we'd all be lost. But he requires us to be in the way of faith. He requires us to be on this spiritual journey. And when we turn on the light, that's when we get the blessing. So don't just wait for the light to knock you down. The light is always on. The sun is always shining. It's the clouds that get in the way. The fog gets in the way. But you have to shoo it all. You have to blow the clouds away. You have to do something. You get yourself in position. You open the word. You, you stand on the promises and you look to Jesus. And that's like turning on the light switch. The power company is always running the electricity, right? You don't have to call the power company each time and say, hey, I need some light. You have to turn the switch on. So how do you turn the switch on? You resist the darkness. You say, I'm not going there with my thoughts. I've had, I've had some challenging thoughts this day and yesterday. And I have to make a conscious choice and say, I'm not going there. Instead, what can I replace that with? The word. And with the love of God, I know that God loves me. He laid down his life for us in Christ. He rose again. He has promised victory and an end. And so I'm not staying here with the clouds. I'm going into the light. And it's a conscious decision. You resist the devil, James 4, 8. You resist the darkness. You turn on the light. 
And that might mean having to turn off your TV for a little bit, right? There's a lot of darkness that comes through the TV and news, news media and things like that. It's good to be informed, but you got that thing constantly running. You're just pumping darkness into your soul. So uh, that's the power of God in light. Also, Paul understood the power of God in the voice. Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Isn't it interesting? Until this time on the Damascus Road, Paul had not experienced the power of God in Christ. I don't know what he experienced as a Pharisee, but he said he was a perfect Pharisee. He did all, everything right. He was the traditional one. He, he knew all the rules, and he obeyed everything to the T. And that's really why uh, he was mad. Why were they so zealous against the Lord? Well, the Lord came in, and when Jesus spoke, he challenged the status quo. He challenged their tradition. He challenged their religion. And, he, and, and these were the Israelites, the people who had the law, the oracles of God. And Jesus came in and he challenged things by their traditional understanding. And they got angry and violent and zealous for God, right? I was zealous for God just as you are today. Angry and violent because they could not deal with Jesus who did not fit their agenda and what they understood. And rather than getting angry and violent, they should have humbly sought the Lord. And that's, that's the first disciples were like that. They, they heard these things and they were amazed at the authority and, and they were humble about it. It's when you're puffed up with pride, you can't accept anything else. It's this is the way we've always done it, we're not going to change. But the voice of God changed Saul. And, uh, and this is the mercy, the zeal of God. You say, how can I be zealous for God and his love? You see the love of God zealously speaking to a violent persecutor of the church. And the same zeal of God that spoke to this persecutor is the same zeal that he's been pursuing us with. And each of us he's been pursuing. I believe he's pursuing every person on this planet that's been born. It's a matter of who's paying attention, who's listening, and who's being puffed up and rejecting the overtures of God. But now he had a special calling on Saul, Paul, and so he knocked him down with the light. He said, I'm, I'm getting this guy, whether he likes it or not. You know. So uh, Paul, Paul heard the voice of Jesus, and he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And that changed him. You say, well, I've never heard the voice of God speaking. Yes, you have. Just like the light has shined in your hearts, the voice of God has been speaking to us. And the voice of God has been speaking through today, through your fellowship with others, through the word, through the events that are happening. God is always speaking. He speaks through nature. He speaks through creation. But you're not going to understand what he's saying unless you filter it all through Jesus Christ. Because it says in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, can we put that up there? Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son whom he has appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the worlds or the ages. Now, he has spoken to us in these last days by his son. So why don't I hear his voice speaking? Why doesn't he send prophets to me and tell me what to do? He's told us everything through his word and it's through his son. 
Jesus is the authoritative voice. If you want to hear God's voice speaking, open the book and learn everything through Jesus. Even the Old Testament, you cannot hear God's voice speaking clearly unless you filter it through the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who came to fulfill everything that those prophets said and more. And then the New Testament is also, it goes, the, the cross is in the center of it all. And the Old Testament looks forward, the New Testament looks back, but it's all through Jesus that we receive and hear the voice of God. So if you want to know what God is saying to you, first it's through the Son, and you look to Him, and you study that Word. And I'm not asking you to study the Word to tell me what you believe or to learn what is correct doctrine, but to study it so that you can learn what's going to make you grow, so that you can experience the goodness of God, so that you can have fellowship with the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ, you reading the word as food for your soul, not just to pass a, a Sunday school exam or something. Amen or oh me. We need, to, we need to read this word, and when you read it, well, I never get anything out of it. Well, again, it takes more than just five minutes. It takes a zeal for God and a desire to grow in love. And you pray and you ask the Holy Spirit, show me what you're saying through this word. Speak to me, and he will. And you keep at it. You keep going. This is the zeal keeps us going. If I don't hear something today, I'll hear it tomorrow. If I don't hear it tomorrow, I'll hear it the next day. If I don't hear it the next day, I'll hear it next week. But I'm going to keep coming back. And sometimes you don't think you're hearing, but you'll find after a while, hey, I remember that's what the words, you'll realize that I have heard something, that he has been speaking to me. And this voice of God, this is what's going to change everything. When you, when you receive what is spoken of in this word. So you have to respond to it. You're not just reading it or listening to a message. You can listen to a message, oh yeah, that got me excited, and then I, I left and went out and forgot everything after a while. You have to plant seeds, and you have to respond to these things. And so you read something, and you respond. It says that Jesus says, I and the Father will come and make our abode with you. You don't just read it and say, oh, that's nice. You say, oh, that's for me. That's mine. And I'm going to respond to that. I'm going to, it's going to lift my countenance. I'm in a bad mood. Well, I'm going to force a smile because he said he's going to come make his abode with me. All things work together for good again. You know, I've had some rotten things happen the last few days. Well, I'm just going to smile because all, I'm going to respond to that word. It's not just doctrine. It's something I am stepping out on. I'm heeding his voice. And that's what Saul did. He heeded the voice of God, and there was power. And that power overrode the power of the high priest and the elders. They gave him power to go forward and persecute others. It, that power of his voice will overcome the powers, principalities and powers that are in the world. It overcomes demonic influences in our lives. But it's whose voice are we listening to? Are you listening to Fox News, CNN News? Or are you listening to the Word of God? Are you listening to TikTok or or Facebook, or, you know, all these things. You can't avoid these voices, but what are you letting build a response in your life with? I, I didn't say that right. Let me, let me say that in a better way. What are you responding to primarily? We, we all respond to things that there are primary responses. There is a zeal that drives us. There's this one thing I do that I spoke on last week. What drives us? What are we choosing to allow to be the dominant voice in our life. And uh, we have to make a decision to go forward with the voice of power. And that power will give you strength, will give you victory, and it will give you boldness. 
I was in China, and uh, I'll talk about boldness. There, there was a boy, I believe, who was demon-possessed. And I, he was in the neighborhood, and I walked outside, and he was way across the street. He was completely disheveled. His hair was crazy, Albert Einstein-like with electrodes shocking him. I mean, he was like that. And his face was dirty, filthy. His, his clothes were tattered. And he was away across the street, and he was knocking over a garbage can, and he was shouting and screaming. He's going, ah, ah, ah. And, and I was just glad I was on the other side of the street, and I was going about. I thought, that guy has a problem. And uh, it turns out I went out another time, and this time he was on my side of the street, and I had to walk right past him. And I knew that God has given me authority over demons, and I can cast that demon out. Jesus said, those who believe will cast out demons. I'm going to take them up on it. So I was, And greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And Jesus destroyed, he put these powers to flight at the cross. I'm believing that. And yet when I walked by him, I was a little intimidated. I was like, well, what if it's like the sons of Sceva? They tried to cast a demon out, and the, and the demon said... Jesus we know and Paul we know, but who are you? And they, So that kind of had me a little intimidated. But, you know, I can answer that one now. They were not walking with the Lord. They didn't have a uh, relationship with God. That's why that demon said, who are you? You know, they, they didn't see them connected to the Lord. But if you have a relationship with the Lord, you can be bold and you can speak. But I still walked by him. He was just intimidated. Ah, ah, ah. And I was going to the bank to do something, and then I felt guilty, and I said, well... When I come back, if he's still there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak and, and say something. And I walked back, and he wasn't there. Oh, rats. Too bad. <laughs> but the, uh, a few days later, I was on my bicycle. We rode bikes everywhere, and I had bought some loaves of bread at a, a, a Chinese bakery. And I was riding back through an alley, and there he was doing his thing. And I was on my bike, and I stopped. And then because I'm on my bike, I looked at him. I said, stop that. In the name of Jesus, come out of him. He's going, ah, ah. I said, stop that. In the name of Jesus, come out of him. And after I said that, he just looked at me. And his whole countenance changed. And he said, huh? I was like, wow. I said, in the name of Jesus, you don't have to do that. Stop that. And it turns out there were two young girls, about 13 and 14. They came up to me right then and there. They said, are you a Christian? I said, yeah, I am. Are you? He said, yeah. And then they said, well, he's been doing this and stuff. And, and uh, I said, well, can you help me talk to him? I needed help with my Chinese. And they said, yeah. So I, was, I was preached the gospel. I told him about the, the Lord, how the Lord can set him free and the Lord loves him and, and on. And uh, he came up to me and he's looking at my bread. So I gave him a loaf of bread. And in return, he offered me his cigarette that he had behind his ear. <laughs> I said, no, no, that's okay. But he was so calm, and, and, and it's like he did, huh? And then he was like just a sweet little kid, and I felt so sorry for him. Uh, but I told him, look, you know, God loves you, and we want to help you. And, you know, when you feel these urges to scream, instead of giving in to that temptation to scream, lift up your hands and say, thank you, Jesus, for your love. Jesus loves you. I want you to remember that when you're tempted to these things, lift up your hands and, and raise your voice to the Lord. Praise him and encounter this thing. That will drive the enemy, the darkness away. That's, that's responding to the voice of praise, the voice of God in your life, the light. It's stepping into the light. And, and I don't know what happened to him. You know, I never saw him again after that. 
maybe I'll see him someday, and hopefully, hopefully we'll, we'll laugh about that incident. But I'm telling you, I told you that because you can have boldness in your circumstances. You might be tempted to scream and lift up your hands and, and knock over garbage cans and go, ah, ah, instead resist that. Instead say, God is good, he's faithful, we will get through this, and I have victory in Jesus. It doesn't look that way to the senses, but I know spiritually it is true, and it starts by faith, and then it enters in as we continue in that faith walk. And that is the grace of God. So the last part of Paul's testimony here, we start uh, back where Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? There's the grace of God, that God wants to be involved in our lives and wants to give us victory and power. And here was uh, the Lord who started the conversation Saul wasn't looking for the Lord in this manner. He thought he was serving God with a misguided zeal, but God started the conversation with him. And the same is true for us. God started the conversation with us. I know I wasn't really seeking the Lord when God called me. And, you know, I I can safely bet that most of you were not seeking the Lord at first, but he spoke, he, he sent messengers, he got to you somehow, he started the conversation. And you go, generally speaking, the world was not looking for Jesus, and yet God sent Jesus into a, a Jesus-hating world. And Jesus went to his ob- obedient death on a cross and in, in, in faced the spitting of unworthy people and shame that was cast upon him. He started the conversation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He started the conversation. He went after us when we all deserve to go the route of judgment and hell. So that's the grace of God. Now you say, why would he go after that persecutor who was after, he was an enemy of the Lord. Why would he go after any of us? We were all enemies of the Lord. We may not have been binding Christians and dragging them off to be beaten and put in jail. And some people think Paul might have killed some. Who knows? But any sin Jesus came to deliver us from, forgive us from, anything you've done is under the blood if you'll receive it. But why would he do that? Well, it's because his ways are higher than our ways. Isaiah 55, 8 says that the Lord's ways are higher than our ways. And I want to tell you something about that. This verse, that section, you'll have to go back and read Isaiah 55. That section is so misquoted and misunderstood Because most people say, oh, God works mysteriously. I don't know why this happened, but his ways are higher than our ways. That is not biblical. I challenge you to show me that in the Bible. The Bible says his ways are higher than our ways. In that section of Isaiah 55, what is he talking about? The context there is that he says, if the wicked repent, if the wicked forsakes his ways, I will receive them, I will pardon, and I will abundantly give. He... he, his ways are higher than He wants to receive the wicked. He wants to do something in their lives. You and me, man's ways, woman's ways, people's ways, whatever. Someone's wicked and unholy, unrighteous. You know, we, our natural tendency is we don't want to have anything to do with them. And if they get judged, that's what they deserve. Let them go. And so it's hard to fathom God who will say, no, I want to have mercy. I want to change this person. I want to be glorified in this person. That's God's ways are higher than our ways. Our ways are lower. We want revenge. We want to stick it to them. But God has mercy. 
and every day his mercies are new. Even with us, we don't deserve his mercies every single day, but his mercies are new every morning, and he loves us. And that is the grace of God. He says, Saul, Saul, it was personal, and it's personal with us. He's not, a, uh, he's not over everything, and you just get to come in, and he'll tolerate you. He's got a personal vested interest in you, and it's, it's full of grace. Now, Paul, I believe, didn't understand this about his ways being higher because, of course, Paul wasn't acting in that way. He was going to bind the wicked in his sight. He wasn't having grace. So there was Saul. I could see him on the road. And he's on his way with violence in his heart and hatred. He's an enemy of God. And suddenly, light knocks him to the ground. And at that point, can you imagine, he instinctively knows that something's wrong. He's been knocked to the ground. And he instinctively knows that I'm not on the right side after all. I've been hit to the ground. The Lord has knocked me to the ground. And I can see him trembling and saying, what was that? And I can see him on the ground curling up in a ball, understanding that now he's going to get it. Now it's coming forth. He, the Lord has exposed him. He's revealed that you're on the wrong side, Paul or Saul. Whatever, he was Saul at that moment. Uh, you're on the wrong side. And I can just see him curling up in a fetal position on the ground, being trembling, thinking, oh, no, what have I done? And the Lord is about to speak to him. And he recalls his understanding of tradition, the Old Covenant. He recalls what the Lord does to his enemies in the Old Testament. Fire, destruction, elimination, the thunders of judgment. He's waiting for that voice of thunder to speak to him. And he braces himself. And then what does he hear? The voice of a friend? Saul. He hears it. Saul. Saul, why are you persecuting me? This wasn't what I. This isn't what I was expecting. So what does he say? You, you're not. You're not what I was. Who are you, Lord? He asked the question. Who are you, Lord? Because he wasn't experiencing him the way he expected. And so sometimes we need to ask that question too. Who are you, Lord? Because I was expecting this, but something else here. I was expecting you to to not bless me anymore because I've not lived up to everything so well. Well, none of us ever have, and that's why Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins. He purchased more than just forgiveness. He also purchased our righteousness, and he's made us accepted in the beloved. And we have to say, who are you, Lord? Even, even the way I am, how I know I am, you're still good to me. You still love me, and you still want to bless me. You still want to uh, move me further in your purposes and in the kingdom. And I have a place in the kingdom? Wow. And he's going to give us... The, uh, there's so much we could rejoice about in the scriptures that tell us what we have in Christ and we don't have to earn it. That's the grace of God. That is the grace that makes us zealous to want to serve him. So, so Saul said when he realized, uh, Jesus said to him, I am Jesus who you're persecuting. Jesus didn't say, you're in for it now, Saul. I'm, I'm through with you. He just said, he said, why are you it's hard for you to kick against the goads. He says that in Acts chapter 9. He says, it's hard for you. Don't you think it's hard for you to go against the goads like this? Jesus is talking to him as a friend, even when he was on the side of enemy of God. How much more will Jesus speak kindly to you and me when we're not enemies anymore? We've been redeemed by his blood. We've been made the family of God. We've been made children of God. And yet sometimes we respond to him like, you know, we're just 
enemies or say, how can he possibly be pleased with me when I've failed so much? And servants, we're servants, just lowly servants. Well, we, we are servants, but it's not like that. We're children first. He's made us that. That's what he's done. You say, well, how can God love me? You don't know what I've done. You don't know what Jesus has done. You don't know what the cross has, cross has accomplished. And that's what I want to get us into. How can we further grow in this? How can we discover more? Because when we discover the love of God and really receive it and make it ours for personal growth, not just to study about it and have it as a doctrine, but to see the goodness of God in the face of Jesus Christ, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, that will empower us. That will empower us to say, what do you want me to do, Lord? And so many Christians out there, They'll go to church on Sunday. They'll go to church on Wednesday or whatever. They'll listen to teaching on TV or whatever, but they don't really care to serve. They don't care about missions. They don't care about uh, spreading the news or sharing with others. And I'm not saying you have to feel guilty if you're like that. I'm just saying if you're like that, if you don't have a kingdom drive, a kingdom zeal that's motivated by love, just recognize where you're at and say, God still loves me and receive the grace of God. He's pleased with you. You don't have to earn anything. And let that love affect you. That's what will build you up, and that will put those desires in you. Romans 2.4 says it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. If you start meditating on his goodness, it won't be any trouble to say no to that temptation. It won't be any trouble to give up certain things you think he doesn't want you to have. It's all grace, and, and that's what you receive first, and then he does the work and changes your heart. And we go forward with joy and victory and power. Power that can overcome devils. Power that can overcome the darkness. It's all a question of will you be zealous for him? And will you turn to the light? He was zealous for a persecutor. That means he zealously loved a persecutor. How much more does he love those who are in Christ? So today as you go forward... I want you to feel blessed, loved, and encouraged in the Lord. And don't just let it go in one ear and out the other. Improve on it. Start to build on it. Say, I want to discover more of what God has for me. I want to discover what's mine. I don't have to earn it. And you forgive yourself. Some of you need to forgive your past and say, it's, it's past. Because if you don't forgive your past, you're saying, I can't forgive what Jesus has forgiven. Well, it's too good to be true. He really forgives it? Yes, that's what faith is all about. You say yes. That's why he went to the cross and died. That's why he rose again, and he's coming back for a spotless bride. And the good news is, is that you're spotless in him. Believe it, receive it, and it happens more supernaturally. If you think, I have to build this up and work it and grit my teeth and become better, it won't happen. It's by faith that we grow, and he has become our righteousness and our sanctification, our redemption. So receive the gift of God. Be zealous for the Lord. Go in the power of his voice and his light and take it to others. Overflow. In Jesus' name, amen.